uh, we're really excited about the, 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 just going through this whole process of love came down. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And now as we, we just kind of come to the end of, of, of looking at the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think there's any better place as we look at how love came down, as we start walking in love for the next couple of weeks and just looking at that. Um, and so the conclusion of love coming down, of what we've been talking about, is really just how that plays out in walking in his love or walking in step with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came down for you and me so we might walk with him. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians for the next couple of weeks. Um, and then I- I'm really excited, so I'm just going to put a little plug here, uh, about August 24th we're going to be starting our series, Holding Nothing Back. And we're going to be um, going for a number of months in the book of Leviticus. It's going to be awesome. So uh, we were going to do, uh, we thought the best transition between Love Came Down and the book of Leviticus would have been Blood Come Down. Because that just describes Leviticus in, in general, just a lot of blood. So, no, that's, that was a horrible joke and it was also a horrible joke. So... Apologize about that, um, but no. But we were going to be looking at all the just the different the offerings and the sacrifices, um, and really looking at the picture of grace as we point later to the person of grace in Jesus Christ, what they offered and what the, the sacrifices and what it meant as we look at that in, in, in its cultural context and its historical context, but also in the context of how God has drawn near to them, draws near to us, and in turn we can now bring all of who we are as Paul says in the book of Romans, as living sacrifices in the book, uh, book of Romans chapter 12. And so it's really going to be exciting and I'm hoping you all will be there. Great time to invite people and just uh, have a good time uh, getting through the book of Leviticus. So, hey, really quick, I just uh, I want to make a confession to you. I'm a sporadic exerciser. Any of you out there? Uh, I decide to, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to start running. And sometimes I'll go a week or two and then it's like, eh, I'm done. <laughs> Anybody there? I mean, that's just, I, 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 maybe I get this kind of guilt feeling. A lot of times what it is, I'm swimming and I look down and I see my gut and I go, oh, I need to work out. So I do and then I stop. And you know, the good news is I'm pretty much getting to the point where I just don't care anymore. So don't worry about it. You know, I'm, I'm good. Um, no, I, I do care. But uh, but. I've looked at the past and as I've looked at that, I said, when are the times that I really worked out for a long period of time or when I really stuck to it or committed to it? And and invariably, it always works itself out to where I worked out um, a longer time, a better time, when I had people around me who were pushing me or I was able to join with them and they they would call me and say, are you going to do this? Or, you know, we would just kind of walk together in that. Um, and, and that really helped me because in and of myself, I'm a lazy bum. You know, I just am. I'm like, I don't want to work out today. But when I had a brother in the Lord who was like, hey, let's do this, then it really spurned me on. It really helped me kind of get outside of myself and get into that groove. And, and honestly, that's what we're looking at in a spiritual sense with love came down and now walking in love is that we have a God that not only holds us to, to a, uh, a, a standard, a holy standard, but says, I know you can't do this by yourself. I get that. In fact, what we really looked about at in the Sermon on the Mount, if at the end of the day you go through that and you say, oh, that's what God requires, I'll just do that, check, then you've missed it. You see, you've missed it. And, and, and what God is, has set up as he, as he goes through and he gives this sermon, he, he, he really is saying, at the end of the day, it's all about what I do through you. It's not you at all. It's my grace. It's the fact I came down to carry you and pick you up and hold you and lead you where you could not go on your own. And very much I get that. 
especially in the idea of exercise or the things that are hard for me. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing harder than the mandate that, that Jesus puts in the, end of, in the end of chapter 5 as he really sums up that sermon when he says, Be perfect, therefore, as my heavenly Father is perfect. And we're going to look at that today in the book of Ephesians, where Paul says, be imitators of God. Uh, sure, because I can imitate God. No. You, especially my kids and my family knows that I don't imitate God. <laughs> Most of the time I imitate, imitate a jerk in, in, at home, or I imitate you know, my own self, which is not the greatest person. And so what is going on here? What does God want us to look at? And so what I really want to talk about today in this walking in love is the, is the concept, the Jewish concept of walking, which is living. You see, to the Jew, to the first century Jew, when, when, when uh, Paul wrote walk in love, he really was talking about like when you're getting your groceries, okay? when you're teaching your kids, when you're going to work. Uh, now, I can extrapolate that to now, when you're in traffic, Right? Uh, when you're dealing with your neighbor, um, when, you're, when you're talking to your boss, or when you're dealing with employees, or, or when you're dealing uh, with those hard-to-deal-with people at work, when you're disciplining your kids. You see, it's, it's living. Walking is living. And, and really, are we going to, and this is the end of the... Uh, Love came down as Jesus really postured, he really puts it out there and he says, in really a simple form, are you going to do this with me? Are you going to allow me to do this through you? And that's the hope of the glory that lies within us. You see, that's what God wants to do in us and through us. That's Christianity, living it out. And not because we have to or because, oh, now I've got a checklist or this is what I'm going to do. No, it's living it out through the Holy Spirit, through the God that came down and wants to live it out through us. So one of the first things before we, before we pray and, and, and enter into God's word here is we, we have gotten this in, in, to some extent with the orthodoxy of it. And don't get me wrong, I want us to be a church that is all about correct orthodox belief. And when I mean orthodox, I don't mean necessarily like a type of denomination or a type of church. Or orthodox is just bringing it back to the core beliefs. The core beliefs of what we believe. Um, the core beliefs of the Bible. And our orthodoxy needs to be correct. We'd have to have a correct orthodoxy. But many people have stopped there. And this is what Jesus struggled with with the religious leaders of the day. They had, they had this belief, but it didn't translate into their life, into their walk. This is why he called them whitewashed tombs. This is why he, he said, you're like a dirty cup on the inside. The outside's clean, you get that clean, but the inside's not there. And so what I really want to look at today is not just the orthodoxy, what we believe, but our orthopraxy. And that's what we practice. Because ultimately, our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy have to meet. Because that's what you have in Jesus Christ. Amen? He didn't come down just to tell us about the truth. He came down to live the truth and said, now follow me. And that's the following part. Jesus didn't say at, in Matthew 28, now go out and tell people about me. He says, go make disciples. The hardest part about making disciples is living it, practicing it. Right? Don't tell me, show me. And that's the orthopraxy that we're going to really get into the word about in Ephesians chapter 4 or 5 and, and look at a little bit in 3 there. So if you could do me a favor, let's all rise and pray and read God's word here.
Lord, we just come before you and we thank you. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for the truth that you are and the truth that you give. But more than just the truth, you're also the way. And you're also the life. You want us to not just know you, but live in such a way as being living examples of this truth. Being followers of Jesus that take your hand and go as we not only recognize the love that came down, but respond and we walk in love. May we do that now. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here because I know I struggle with this. There isn't one day that goes by that I can say, wow, look how great I am. <laughs> look how good I am. Look, look at me. I'm just so proud of myself. More often than not, I'm reminded about how much I need to trust you because how little I really get this. And so, Lord, may your word not only get inside of us, but work itself out and live through us. And we just want that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're looking at the, the, the word here, it's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And I love this. It says, follow God's examples. Another translation says, be imitators, therefore, of God. So therefore, as dearly loved children, follow God's example and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. All right, you may be seated. Some tough stuff here. And really, it's just the Apostle Paul, in this chapter, helping believers then to really just grasp hold of the Savior who came down to lead them. They were having a tough time, just like probably you and me in a day and age today, which is completely contrary to God's culture. See, we, we live in a culture today which doesn't necessarily say, yes, I want to follow God and I want to do everything God says for us to do. You don't really have to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. And so when Jesus says, uh, um, you know, earlier, to be perfect, is, is therefore my Heavenly Father is perfect, and Paul now is saying, be imitators of Christ, that can be a really un misunderstood concept. Because for me, I can't even make dinner for my kids very well. So here's God making the whole universe. <laughs> I, if I'm trying to imitate him, I, I fail miserably, if I'm honest. But that's not necessarily what Paul is saying here. But we get this wrong. Because many of us look at our Christianity as something that we... Okay, now, what do I need to do to reach God? To make God happy? Or to figure this out so that I'm doing my part? Paul is not saying that. And neither is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So what, what he's doing here, see, God never calls us to do as I do until he has done a work in us. This, the simple way, if you're taking notes, is the inside work must be done before we can ever walk on the outside. And that inside work is nothing you do. Paul many times says it's, it's the grace of God. 
that does this for me. Thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's changed me. New creations. See, if we're ever to try to imitate God externally without having the internal work done, then we become hypocrites. See, hypocrites are someone that tries to do something without it really being in there. That's why the, the original word for hypocrites, uh, Hippocrates, was, was for actors, right? And many actors in that day, men would play women. And nobody would look at them going, well, that's a real woman. Now, a real actor could almost get away with it, but at the end of the day, they would take off the mask, take off the clothes. Oh, it's, it's, it's really just, you know, it's the way it is. And so the idea here is, are you trying to portray something on the outside that's not really there on the inside? And this is what happens when we look to be imitators of God without allowing God to really transform us on the inside. Um, we become very focused on our orthodoxy and miss the internal work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us first. See, we can become religious experts, but graceless paupers. Let me say that again. We can become religious experts, but paupers in grace. Uh, in John chapter 3, Jesus deals, deals with this very simply with Nicodemus. Nicodemus probably heard the Sermon on the Mount and still didn't get it. And so he comes to Jesus and says, Hey, what must I do? I don't get this. How, how do I really get this kingdom living? And in John chapter 3, Jesus basically says, Hey, you should get this. You're like a religious expert. You've read the text. How do you not know? And he says, You've got to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born of the Spirit. You have to have something internal before the external can ever be there. To basically stop focusing on the outside and allow God to move in on the inside. And the Apostle Paul really, in the, as we're looking at chapter 5, he's illuminating something he said earlier in chapter 3. If you look at chapter 3, uh, verse 16 and 17, he says, I pray that out of his, out of Jesus' glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in what? Your inner being. Your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, if God does not change the inside, then we are destined to fail on the outside. This is why I believe Paul talks about, he says, your children of God, children of the King. Kids get this. You, you, some of you have experienced this. Uh, well, I think all of you have experienced this. As a kid, this is our first experience of being a beggar. You know what I'm saying? You, you ever seen the kid at, at the store that's like, please, they're like on their knees begging mom and dad, I just want that candy. I've never seen beggars as good as little kids. You know what I'm saying? It's the truth because they have nothing unless you give it to them. Right? Even the little or the kid, it's like they, they cry, why I want food, feed me, feed me, I'm hungry. Do this, do that. I mean, we get it. And that's what Jesus says, hey, when it comes, I can't do anything but what the Father tells me. I'm always talking to God saying, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be? I need it from you first. I need it from you first. And this is the idea of what Paul says. He says, remember, you're just kids. We want to be all grown up though, don't we? That's, I mean, when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was be grown up. Now I want to be like a kid again. Mainly because everything's starting to droop and sag and it's like, you know, I'm getting tired. I work outside and I'm like, phew, man, it's like been five minutes. When I was a kid, I would, you know, do everything. And it was like, oh. But the idea is like, you, you, Paul is just bringing us back. He's bringing us back. Remember, everything you have is because of God. It's all that internal working. But many times we fall into that trap where we're saying to ourselves, okay, 
Now, I need to do this or fix that. Or how can I make this happen so that my walk with God will be better? See, again, if you're taking notes, it's not by our power, our strength, or might, but by His Spirit that we were able to walk at all. That's what we have to remember as we are really truly looking at this. Coming to the end of this sermon, Paul's outlining this whole way of this is how we need to just respond to God, but we can only respond unless God has done this work in us and through us by His Spirit. So many times I've fallen into this trap where I say, my walk with God is good right now because I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm... No. Our walk with God is anywhere near good because of what Jesus is doing in us and through us. He's dwelling in our hearts, strengthening our inner being. Nothing that we're doing. And can I just say, I'm going to say this real quick. Please don't be offended, but some of us can make idols out of Christian practices and disciplines. This is where we, I've been in many places where as a, just growing up in the Lord, it's like, okay, if I just practice this, if I just do this, then I will be. You get what I'm saying? And, and many people take the Christian practices, Christian discipline of, say, going to church or reading our Bible or praying, and we put that in place of what God wants to do or what He's doing. And we put all of our faith in ourselves in going to church or in praying or in Bible reading. And those actually become an idol as opposed to just trusting in God who wants to do the work in us and through us. So we do it to get. Instead of doing it because we're just receiving. We go to church to receive. We, go, we pray to receive. We read the Bible to receive. Always remembering that He does it, not me. It's not an obligatory thing. It's not a compulsory thing. It's not like going to school and yet how many of us have waken up, gone to church because we have to. Or it's like, oh, I've got to read that Bible because I have to. If I, if I want to be here, I need to do this now. And we can get into that trap. And the Apostle Paul is very much saying, remember, it's Him. And that's what Jesus is saying through the Sermon on the Mount. Stop trying and just receive me. The truth is we are able to walk because Jesus is dwelling in our hearts. Nothing that we're doing. Nothing that we're doing. This is what walking in love truly means. Now, this boils down by the way, to as his children, or let's see, see what it all boils down to as his children is trust. It's just trust. If we're going to truly stop trying on the outside and allow him to work on the inside, then we need to trust him. This is the hard part. My wife and I, we struggle a little bit with this because um, uh, I'm not a very good driver. And that's just the truth. Okay? Not a very good driver. I've never really been in any accidents, but I've caused a lot of accidents. So, um, and I, I repented, you know, and then I do it again, and I get on my knees again, and I'm sorry about it, you know, and so most of the time I let her drive, because it's like, I know we're not going to get into an argument if she drives, because I'll probably do something stupid, and she'll be like, oh my gosh, we almost died, um, you know, and that's just usually how it happens, and so, you know, uh, and so, it's, and a part of that is, she doesn't trust me, and for right reasons, I'm not very trustworthy with driving, so, um, you know, the, I get that. But I remember driving with a guy who, who he, he was kind of ridiculous with driving. I mean, this guy was like, he, he just didn't go 
he just didn't go fast. He went like 110. You know what I'm saying? And I remember one time, he sat up on the back of his, he leaned his chair down and sat on the headrest and drove with his feet. That's the kind of guy he was. And I just remember driving with him, and rightly so, I did the, the clutching of everything going, Stop! Now, I realized later that this guy was like a professional driver. He was super, super good. And if you ever see those commercials where the, the car, the car sales, you know, the car commercials, and they're doing these crazy things, and at the bottom in small print it says, do not try at home, professional driver on, cor- on the track, you know. That, that's kind of the way this guy was. And, and when I stopped, you know, not trusting him and started trusting that, oh, this guy knows what he's doing, I had a really good time. But that was the hard part. It's just the trust. And many people are this way with God, aren't we? See, we forget, and so we go, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to call that guy and get the job. I'm I'm going to make this happen. Many people believe God, but they don't always trust Him. I'm there. That's why Paul reminds us, it's always God's love for us that always moves us internally before we can act externally. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Paul says. We have to remember, oh wait, Jesus did this. Gee, that's why I love communion, why we do this, in remembrance of Him, the one that came and gave and shed His blood for us, broke, His body was broken for us. By His stripes, by His wounds, we are healed. You see, the, the idea is we need to look and remember, because sometimes we forget. And with that guy that I was driving with, I would remember, oh man, yeah, wait, wait, he is a good driver. He is, he can do this. He, we're not going to die. And sometimes we need to come and, and, and trust God at all times, but, but really come to Him and say, I, I remember what you did. And because of that, because of your love for me, as you came down and led me, I can trust you. I can walk in this. Will you trust Him? Because this is where belief needs to become actions. See, in the next paragraph, Paul is speaking to a huge ethnic diversity here that was raised in all types of ways. And so I want to point you really simply to three steps, three steps that, 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 that God um, just gives us here very simply in the culture around us. Because it's crazy. If you look at the culture of, of Rome in that day and you look at our culture today, there's a lot of similarities. It's kind of creepy. You know, when you read the history books and you, you look at where we're at today, it's like, whoa, there's a, I, like, they, they dealt with stuff we have to deal with. So it's not really just way back then and it's all different today. There's a lot of similar stuff. And so what does he do? The first step of walking in love I want to point you out to is purity. It's purity. Now Paul starts with sexual purity as he looks at the idea of pornea, but he really ends it with the idea of all kinds or any kind of impurity. He says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or even any kind of impurity. See, pornea is where we get the word pornography from because it really is just the idea of, uh, if you break the word down, the root word comes from buying and selling from port, from a port, and and the idea of buying or selling something that's sacred. Taking something that is good and a gift from God and making it something that we just buy and sell. We do this all over the place. It's not just pornography, but we do this all over the place. I mean, think about it. Now, you're standing in line for groceries, right? Many of you have been there. 
Okay? And, and, and the person in front of you just has to have a 30-minute conversation uh, with the checker because they know. And so you're really just standing there. You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, come on, hurry up. I got things to do. I got TV to watch. So, you, you know, you're standing there, right? And, and you just look over and you see all these magazines, right? You know what I'm talking about. And every single one of these magazines, most of them, what are they doing? They're selling... And the easiest way to sell is sex. Let's just be honest. That's what most of them do. They just, they're very sexualized things. But a lot of it too is so-and-so is doing this. Oh, no, they didn't. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like that idea, right? You, you look at that and, it, oh, is so-and-so sleeping with so-and-so? Oh, they, they don't have a good relationship? Mm, uh, uh, right? And we just, you know, that's what happens. And I mean, I used to love this one magazine way back when. It was the black and white one called News. Just news. And it was like, that boy, found, right? <laughs> Pictures with the family and the, and the Sasquatch, you know, Bigfoot. It's all those crazy things. But the idea was you, you, you take something that should be private and we bring it out there for everybody to see. That's why America loves their celebrities. Because they, we want to knock them down. There's nothing better than seeing a politician get knocked down. We're like, yeah, right? I mean, it's just the truth. And what we've done is we've taken something that's supposed to be internal and sacred and just, that's my own home life, and we've made it very private for sale. Do you see? Now, I'm not saying don't go out and buy. I mean, some of them you shouldn't, but, you know, I'm not saying that. But, but what are we taking that's pure and making it impure? See, back in the day, Paul got this. You could walk down the street and go into the temple of Aphrodite, which was very common in Ephesus, there was one in every city, multiple ones, probably in Ephesus at the time. You could go into this temple, and there was over a thousand priestesses there, and, and, and also probably about the same priests. And those priestesses and priestesses weren't the same that you would see today. They, 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 were, they were basically prostitutes. And to enter into worship for Aphrodite, you would just toss a coin in, and you would get sex. Very simply. Right down the street. That's how you did it. And see, we've, we've become so advanced today, we don't even need to get up, we don't even need to put clothes on, we can be in our boxers or whatever it is and sit at our computer and get sex. Because we're so much more advanced about going to the temple of Aphrodite. You see, the, the, this is what we do. This is the culture we live in. This is the culture they lived in. The culture was known in Roman times for mass divorces. Mass divorces. It was common for a wealthy man to have a boy. Not a boy, a little boy for just, hey, come fishing with me. But what we would talk about today is pedophilia. It was common and it was a common practice. You see, the sad thing is this is what Paul is talking to these people and these people, this is what they've been raised in. This is what is normal. This is what is right. This is what I did. This is what my grandparents have done. This is what I've done. What do you, what's going on? But when we're walking in love, we need to understand that God came down for a purpose. God came down. Love came down to help us walk. Walk the way we need to walk. And very, it's very difficult. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with this. We struggle with this. And so Paul wants to show us purity in general. Don't forget that Jesus called us to be salt and light. He walked in purity. He was assaulted constantly with impurity. And he didn't separate himself. Now let's please understand that. Many Christians get this and they go, Oh yeah, I don't want to... So I'm going to go live in a cave. 
So my kids are all going to go here. I'm going to make them listen to this music here. I'm going to do this and this and this. And we're living in a cave. (laughs) We have modern day monasticism. We have modern day hermits. And what do we do? We separate ourselves completely from the culture. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. In fact, many times, what did people say about Jesus back then? Be like, he can't be the son of God. He can't be good. Look who he hangs out with. Brothers and sisters, who are you hanging out with? Are you being salt? Are you being light? This is what it means to be in there, but not of it, right? Jesus was a friend of sinners. He remained pure. We need to do the same. What are we consuming on a daily basis? Are we walking in purity or taking shortcuts on the internet? Are we walking in purity or reading those books that do not even attempt the purity that God is calling us to? Are we skirting the edge of a relationship with someone else because it's exciting to us but possibly not honoring and pure to God? We need to take seriously this. We're in it. We're a part. You know, this is, this is the culture we live in. Don't retreat from it. Advance in God's purity as he says, I want to work it through you. This isn't a list, again, that you go through and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. No, it's giving it to God, saying, God, I'm remembering what you've done. I'm your child. Help me. Help me. Second step of walking in love is generosity. If you notice, Paul very much so references the greed, doesn't he? He says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, Right? But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So that second step is simple. It's generosity. And that's the opposite of greed. See, these believers were, were surrounded by opulence, just ridiculous wealth. Rome was known for that. They would go all out to show how rich they were. America doesn't do that at all, does it? See, we live, we are so blessed to live in a culture that has more than almost every other culture around us. The top 5% of the world in wealth. This is what we look at. And yet many of you are just like me. When I look at my stuff, I look at who I ha- what I have and everything else and I go, oh, but I could use more. I need more. It's just greed. The amount of luxuries and money. See, we, we have a tendency to look at greed as if it's Ebenezer Scrooge. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that, that's, that's like when I think of greedy, I think of Ebenezer Scrooge or something, you know, I won't give to you at all, right? But, but th- this is the thing that blows me away. When I look at statistics and I look at... Now, I know you can't always tr- trust statistics, but this is one that we've been researching as, as, as a, a, a global church for a long time. But... You know, the, the average Christian gives 2.4% to the church in America. Here we have the top 5% of the world, and the average Christian gives 2.4%. The funny thing is, the poorer the person, they give more. Isn't that weird? I think that as the income goes down, it's like 3.5%, 4%. But the average Christian, and people say, well, that's my tithe, that's what I get. If we really want to go back to an Old Testament tithe, we're talking 28% there, 29%. So let's not go back to that because most of you would be like, what am I going to do? But, but it's funny how we get to this point where here we have so much. And at the end of the day, we're like, but this is all I got. It's just greed. And I've been there. It's, I still struggle with this. Because I've got this, I need that, I have to have this, and this is breaking, and it's all about what I... Yeah, it's just greed. 
And, and, and the world around us is suffering. The most simplest things. I'm reminded of this. This is, this is why I continue to serve. Not because I have to, but when I serve, I'm reminded that it is true generosity that Jesus did for us and that we're just called to live out with others. You know, we took a lady home the other day from the Blessing Center and this poor lady, she, she was living in this motel. She didn't even want us to go inside. She was so afraid of how we would think of her. And she's dying with cancer. I think of the family that came in that's been coming in. Those kids have been coming in for a long time and they're now coming in with the aunt because the aunt now has all these kids, five of them, because the mom was just shot and murdered by the dad who murdered himself about three weeks ago. You see, and sometimes I forget this is the world we live in when I shelter myself and I become all about myself and greedy with my time, my talent, my treasures. And so I, I just want to challenge you. We're not just to walk in purity, we're also to walk in generosity. This is what Paul is telling us. And can I just say, the goal of our church, I'm so proud of our church, and I'm not proud of it because we're so good, but just we feel like God has called us to, to not just take in what God has given us, but to give it out. And to be a church that says, we are about the least, the last, and the lost. We don't just say it, we want to live it. And that's hard. Because there's always bills, isn't there? <laughs> there's always a struggle. There's always something blowing up. I mean, we just had to fix our air conditioning. I mean, they're like brand new. <laughs> and they, had to, they broke. But are we going to put all our money into that? Or are we going to take what we say and, and live it out? See, the more you walk in love the more you will be surprised by Him. And we live in a day and age where many Christians are bored. And I believe we're bored because we've allowed impurity in our lives and we've allowed greed into our life. And when we're generous with what God has given, you can't be bored because you're seeing miracles. You just do. And can I just say, the tendency is to look at only money, but we can really be greedy with our time, with people. Can't we? The spouse that is greedy with their time and will not share it with their kids or loved ones. They work 20 hours a day. The people that make their lives all about themselves and do not live a life of generosity towards those around them. Jesus was generous. We can come to a table and remember Him because of His generosity. He who had everything didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but gave it up. Why? So that we might be rich. We who had nothing, he who had everything, gave it all up so that we might be partners with him, brother and sister to Jesus, sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father, rich in him. Amen. Jesus was generous. Let's be generous. Third step of walking in love is thankfulness. This is a hard one for me. <laughs> this is a really hard one for me. See, if generosity is what we do with our stuff, then thankfulness is what we do with our attitude. I usually get in trouble with my attitude. I don't know about you, but I do. I always got in trouble for my attitude because I would do it, but you could tell I didn't want to do it. I was one of those people, you know, that would, my mom would say something and be like, whatever. You know, my attitude stunk. And you could see it. It was hard for me to show up. My emotions are on my sleeves. I can't help it. But I can let the Lord work through me, walk with Him in my attitude. This is why Paul lumps it in the verse 4. He says, obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse, coarse joking, which are out of place. We have to have thanksgiving. 
Bottom line, all these things have to do with an attitude that displays an attitude apart from Christ. See, everything we have is a gift. We really have to remember that. This is hard for me. Because I like to think I have that because, because of what I did. I work so hard for that. Anybody there? <laughs> I work hard. That's what I get. I studied hard. That's why I got that. Yeah, but who, who gave you a brain? Who gave you the time so you don't have to roll 20,000 cigarettes a day like many of those kids do in India so that you could study for your test? So the, the, the refrigerator is full of hot pockets so you can do study time, right? I mean, who gave that to you? How did you get any of that? It's not by our power, not by our might, but by His Spirit. That's why we're thankful. See, this is where thankfulness comes from. That neighbor who you just can't stand and drives you crazy is no longer a source of joking and anger, but thankfulness. Because there, God is doing something. Remember, when we walk with Jesus, it's not just when we're here at church or in our prayer time in the morning. It's especially when we get out of that car and our anger is, say, the anger is just rising up in us because our neighbor has done something. Oh, that's worship time too. And we can be thankful. Even in that, as God wants to do something in us and through us, the job that you just can't stand and can't go one more day is walked with love so that thankfulness is now an attitude. That child of yours that's causing you so much grief. I was one of those kids. <laughs> and you just want to drop them off at the fire station? You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't look at me in that tone of voice. I know exactly what you're thinking. You've all thought it. My wife and I say sometimes, we've got great kids. We do. I love my kids. But there's times my wife and I will look at each other and go, can we just run away? That'd be fun. Let's go run away. Someone will take care of them. They'll take care of themselves. We've done a good job. Now we're done. It's a source of grief. But it's another opportunity to walk with God in love that took our pain upon Himself and was wounded and suffered for you and me. Thankfulness. We have an opportunity to be thankful in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, because we have a Savior that entered into that. He doesn't tell us to just forget about that stuff. He doesn't tell us just to, just to sit here and say, oh, that stuff doesn't exist. No, He says, I came in and I was wounded for you. I've taken sin on my shoulders. I took the whip and the lashes for you. We need to be thankful. We need to be generous. And we need to be pure. And all of this is because He did it. And we just need to step forward and say, Okay, Lord, I'm guilty. I can't. If I really look at myself, I'm greedy. If I really look at myself, I have a bad attitude. If I really look at myself, I'm not pure. So please, do in me the work that I cannot do on my own. That's what communion is all about. You don't come to this because you're good. You don't come to this because I got this, God. Step aside. We come before the Lord in remembering that He is good. Amen? So please, as we go into a time of worship, just come before the Lord. Thank Him. Let's worship Him as only we can, as children who say, I've got nothing if it wasn't for your Son, Jesus Christ who gave everything. And how is this going to look as we walk tomorrow with our family, with those poor people that are by us, 
with the world around us. Because we don't want to just believe it. We want to practice it. And we want it to be lived through us, in our jobs, in our schools, in our families. Amen? Lord, we just come before you and we thank you. We thank you how you walked amongst us and loved us all the way to the cross where you shed your blood and your body was broke so that we might be pure as you were pure. We might be generous as you were generous and we might be thankful as you were thankful. A walk that is not something we just have in our mind but is something that's lived out so that people in this world will say, wow, that's what Jesus did. Wow. I need that love. I need that help. Lord, we just, we just want to thank you. And I just pray that if there's anybody here that struggles with something, that just is dealing with being thankful, struggling with purity, struggling with greed, Lord, that they would just stick around and we could pray for them. We've got some prayer partners and we just, we'd love to pray for you. But Lord, more than just something we think about, may this be something that is lived out this week to come. Because you are good. And we have your goodness in us. So we love you and we bless you. And because of what you've done, we're able to walk in your love. Amen.